Hello, you're listening to On the Left, a place where we talk about what it's like to be a human being and also on the left. Uh, today with me, uh, we have uh, my lovely friend Juan Carlos, and I'm really excited about this episode because uh, you are our first guest who didn't grow up in America, so <laughs> we're going to be getting a whole new perspective. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, hi. Uh, thank you for the invitation. My name is Juan Carlos Medel. I am from Chile, from southern Chile. You know, Chillán is a small city, not as small, like 250,000 people in Chile. And I grew up there, and I went to California to study years ago where I met a bunch of wonderful people, a lot of friends, and my wife, too. So great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like a one-stop um, <laughs> yeah. American everything. American friends, know, right? American wife. Yeah. Um, and now uh, you and your wife are living where? Santiago. We are living Santiago. in Santiago de Chile, in the capital, you know, so it's a big city. It's very interesting, beautiful city. We're in downtown. It's kind of noisy, but we still enjoy, you know, living in Santiago. Right, absolutely. Um, particularly right now, um, with a lot going on in Chile. So I know. we'll talk yeah. about that um, yeah. probably towards the end. So, um, growing up, I, I, the political situation in Chile is is pretty intense, right? So, yeah. um, for our listening audience who might not know much about the history, um, what what was the situation when 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 you were young when you were first starting to pay attention to politics? Well, you know that like I would say everybody from my age in Chile, my my generation, you know, we grew up in dictatorship. There, so dictatorship marked our life basically. Right. So uh, in the eighties, you know, Chile was contrary to what they usually say. Chile was a very poor country more than 50% of Chilean people was in, in poverty, you know, mm -hmm. uh, some of them in extreme poverty. So now Chile is pretty modern country, but that is not thanks to the dictatorship, you know, is that came later in the nineties, you know? So for us, uh, the dictatorship was an experience that it never went away, you know, uh, uh, you know, that basically mark our political views. Yeah. That right, is. absolutely. Yeah. So when do you first remember having a political consciousness and having an opinion about what was happening yeah. in your country? I mean, I grew up in a, we call them poblaciones, you know, they are like very poor neighborhoods. They are not like shanty towns, but they are, you know, uh, just a little better, right? <laughs> so basically, and in, in Chile at that moment, we were really poor, but there were a lot of people with money. So you saw that uh, walking around the city, right? So you grew up asking yourself why, you know, you and your friends are poor and some people have so much money, you know? And also uh, you understand that your, your, your parents are working hard too. So it's not that explanation that your parents don't work, so they are poor. No, they were working, they were working uh, pretty hard. So it, it didn't make any sense. So I think that many of us, we grew up, you know, uh, realizing about that, right? So uh, we, were, we were, you know, growing up uh, thinking that we were poor, but we didn't deserve to be poor, that there was, there was something wrong going on, you know, right. that was the point, something really wrong going right. on. 
you know, and before reading uh, anything, you know, before even going to high school, we were already aware that there was something really wrong in Chilean society, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of getting explanations for that, um, because there's competing explanations, right, for why something is wrong, um, what were like the the early influences that you had or the explanations that you found most compelling? Where were they coming from? Were they from family? Were they from friends? Or or were they more from a a general zeitgeist that you encountered some, some other way? Yeah, it was more about friends, you know, not not family, actually, you know. Like, my family, my mom was a leftist, but she didn't talk too much about the economic and political situation because we weren't dictators. People were afraid, you know. Yeah. So the, the 80s were not that bad in terms of violence, state violence, because the, the wars, uh, part of the dictatorship was in the 70s. But in the 80s, right. people still were afraid of speaking, you know, uh, about political issues. And my father was kind of a conservative guy, you know, uh, in his political, even now, you know, it's really interesting because I love my father. We have a great relationship, you know, but he always thought that the that the disaster that Chile uh, uh, lived during Allende's times, right, was because Allende's government. And he didn't realize, or he didn't want to realize that it was a situation provoked by the Chilean elite in order to, uh, uh, you know, destroy the project, right? The political project, the socialist project of Salvador Allende, you know? So basically he blamed the left of the social chaos before the dictatorship, right? So in that context, it was more among friends that we, we used to talk as basically child, right? People like 12, 13 years old, right? Talking about why we were poor. And actually many of my friends were even poorer than me, you know? So they they actually have a harder life than me. So it was in that context more with friends. Right. That's amazing kind of actually to think about. That's really young to be having political conversations in comparison to uh, a situation like in America where... um, I can't speak to to working class um, children and and non white children, but if you're if you're anywhere anywhere on the affluent scale and you're white, mm. you're probably not going to be having any political conversations at least till yeah. late middle school, right? Probably at yeah. least high school for most people. So, <laughs> just thinking about how that's such a privilege and a luxury, right? Yeah. When yeah. politics are pressing down on you so much more intensely, yeah. You're yeah. going to be trying I, to figure out what the, why the fuck you're so poor when you're 12 or I, 13. Yeah. So that, that is one of the reasons why, why I said a couple of times among friends in the U.S. in California that I was a Marxist before reading Marx, you know, and some of my friends, <laughs> you know, still made fun of that. But that was the situation. Like the reality was Marxist, right? So uh, I, I, we didn't need to read Marx to realize about class struggle, right? about right. economic inequality, about social injustice, right? Oh, my God, right. So that kind of thing, and it wasn't just me, you know, it was basically a whole group of friends, right, that we, we share our opinions about that, our feelings about that, and our frustrations about that, right? Yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, when material reality is so yeah. in for your face and so uh, visible, you mentioned before that uh, you were in a poor neighborhood, but you could also see wealth around you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 
it's just yeah it's not something one needs to break down and explain yeah. like it's a really complicated concept exactly yeah. um, i love that way that you put mm-hmm. it that you were a marxist before you ever read marx so very early age then you're you're thinking about right basically the forces yeah. that are shaping your life in this very immediate way um where do you think uh was sort of the next turning point where um that started to uh to grow or develop further yeah. or in a different direction i think after 14 15 years old for me it was really important and i see that the the ideological you know uh, uh, source was actually music, you know. It was pan rock, you know. Oh wow! It was it was pan rock. We we used to my brother, my older brother, you know. He he used to listen a lot of pan rock. Like of all for me, the the most important bands were from Spain, you know, like really famous, you know, Basque, you know, pan rock like yeah. La Polla Records, you know. Uh, I'm from from the UK. The Clash, the Clash was so important for me, and we could, you know, I I, I didn't speak English, of course, so uh, we used to get some magazines with the lyrics in Spanish, right? So I I knew what they were talking about, right? Right. And other bands like that, Kennedys, you know, and and different kind of bands. So our political, in my case, actually, my political views were before reading to it was music. You know, it was this kind right. of, this kind of, uh, you know, fury, you know, this kind of uh, anger against the injustice of the system, you know, against, you know, the fake democracy that we were living in the 90s, right? Uh, so there was a kind of, a lot of rebellion, right? And there was, <laughs> there was a lot of rebellion coming from music, you know, coming from music before reading book because, uh, I actually, I read a lot, you know, and I have been reading so many books in my life, but when I was like a teenager, I didn't read too much, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, that yeah. came later, that came yeah. later. So basically before reading, it was music, you know, yeah. it was pan rock. And in Chile, we had really good pan rock, Argentina too. So all those lyrics were really important for, for, for me, you know. That's yeah. so cool. And it yeah. that makes so much sense, particularly like the way that music is and punk rock in particular is packaged yeah. right with both the, the the sound of the fury and in combination with with lyrics. I have a question for you actually along those yeah. lines. This is maybe a little of a segue, but um, I got into a discussion uh, recently with somebody who had a different interpretation of um, California Uber Alice. Yeah. Than m- almost all other leftists I've I've met, like I always um, interpreted that song as a, a critique even of the liberal state, right, and of the Democratic Party. But this other person said, no, it's actually making fun of right wingers in California who were like equating uh, Jerry Brown, you know, with with Hitler or whatever. So what? And now I'm just interested in pursuing this question because we also found contradictory yeah. accounts when we yeah. were trying to look it up online. So what was your understanding of that song? Yeah, it's I mean, a big mystery to me now. Yeah, I, I guess like that depends a lot on interpretation, right? Because mm-hmm. at least for us from Chile, it's more what you said, you know? It's more about, you know, a critique of, you know, uh, uh, liberalism in California, right? Right. Or... or I, I guess that there is a lot of, you know, satire in the song, uh, or irony, right? Or sarcasm, right? right? But 
at least how we interpreted this song here among my friends who we used to talk about this kind of music, right? It was like that, right? It was yeah. basically uh, closer to your uh, interpretation of the lyrics. And it's funny because actually what that kind of makes me think about is how you know people may not realize that along with the dictatorship came a lot of free market neoliberal ideology right yep. so in that sense it it sounds it's actually more compatible from the perspective of what maybe you were experiencing as a child yep. in chile than what i was experiencing in california because i was an affluent child in a growing neoliberal regime um and you you know were a, a struggling child um, exactly yeah in a, in a growing neoliberal machine um or regime and a lot of people don't understand that right that um these dictatorships can be neoliberal right they're they they're were. free market yeah. dictatorships that's no, that's how they work exactly and also and also i think that many americans don't realize that for many people in latin america the U.S. are the real Nazis, you know? Yeah, yeah. They are, you know? For us, the dictatorship in Chile, in Argentina, in Brazil, they were all supported, organized by the U.S., the U.S. government. Right. So for us, you know, California Uberales sounds pretty logical, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, that's Dutch where the Nazis Uberales. come from. Exactly, you know? So <laughs> yeah. for us, the Nazis come from there, from, from California, from the U.S. After all, Ronald Reagan is from California, right? He was the governor of California. Right. 100%. And then once he became president, he just did everything he could to destroy Latin America. Yeah. Um, So you could understand, right, that you could understand that it wasn't like really hard to make the connection between Nazis and, you know, the U.S. for us. Right. Right. Absolutely. 100 (laughs) percent. And also, like, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, like, Pinochet and Hayek had this weird relationship they're basically yep. fanboys of each other right yep oh yeah and even be- even before right even from nixon times you know kissinger right uh, mm-hmm. kissinger right and um milton friedman came to chile too right so it was totally an american sponsor dictatorship right yeah 100 yeah. percent um so music starts to I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned these bands from from Spain, from Basque, um, from England, a little bit from America, um, and so it's it's like this international kind of context oh, awareness yeah. you're having too, oh, yeah. yeah, which I also think is sadly lacking uh, in the United States, right? Yeah, um, when we're politically developing, you know, even if we do end up eventually having a sort of global anti anti-imperialist perspective. I don't think that's terribly common. Although when we talked to Laura uh, earlier, she actually had had more of that sort of international perspective, at least a little bit more when she was young. But for you, it seems like it was just a natural, it's much more natural to think about politics globally. Yeah, because for us, you know, in dictatorship, we were so isolated, right? So for us, it was so interesting to, to grasp or to, you know, to... Uh, eat everything that we could find from abroad, right? Uh-huh. Uh, in terms of music, movies, it was before internet too, you know? So uh, every time that you could get a, a cassette, you know, or an album from, you know, The Clash or Sex Pistols, you know, or I don't know, even the Ramones who are in Chile are pretty famous, but 
many people don't know that they have very complicated lyrics too, right? Uh, huh. And some of them, huh. some of them were actually right-wing Republicans, you know, musicians, uh -huh. right? So yeah, uh, there's a reason that the Clash had to write "fuck off" Nazi punks, right? Yeah, so. exactly, exactly, <laughs> right. So in that environment, we were like trying to absorb everything that was interesting for us, right? Because Chile, it is now is it, we are very globalized country but it's still like an island you know we are at the end of the world here in chile and nobody <laughs> cares too much about chile you know because argentinians they are on the other side of the of the cordillera right of the mountain which are huge and peru bolivia and the rest of the world is really far to the north so chile living in chile is living literally at the end of the world basically to the south right, right. so that even now in the present we still have this sense of isolation and in the dictatorship was much worse. So for many young people and many young kids, actually, you know, everything from abroad in, in terms of music and movies, our all was interesting, right? Right, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So following upon the music, where would you where would you go next um, in terms of, of the, the next kind of major development in, in uh, your thinking about yeah. everything? <laughs> um, you know that... When I was in high school, I, I didn't like too much my high school, you know, because it was like the best kind of play that I could get in my situation. It, so it was like a, we call them, you know, um, I think in the US would be a charter school. Yes. You know, this kind of private, but mm -hmm. with money from the state um, mm -hmm. high school. So it was very middle class feeling. You know, there was a lot of social climate in Chile at that okay, moment in the 90s, yeah. you know. So I never felt totally comfortable there, right? So for me, uh, the high school were not that uh, great times in my life in terms of political, you know, context, right? Uh, I guess that at that moment, too, I was so into playing football or soccer, <laughs> how the U.S. call it, right? <laughs> It was yeah. so important for me because uh, I wanted to be a, a soccer player. You didn't have too much, too many opportunities there in Chile at that moment. So uh, trying to be a soccer player was following your dreams and also trying to make a living, right? right. Because I and it, it never crossed my mind going to the university. So basically, I finished high school without thinking about the university because mm -hmm. university was so expensive. It was impossible, you know? Right. Uh, it was impossible to go to the university, or at least that is what I thought, right? But I remember in terms of intellectual, you know, uh, issues is that I started to read at the end of high school. I, I remember that a couple of high school teachers, they really uh, got me into Latin American literature, you know, writers like, like Garcia Marquez, this very famous Latin American boom, right? Like Borges, like Vargas Llosa, uh, and I still love their books, right? Uh, so in that moment, I started to learn that reading was really fun. But mm -hmm. that was pretty late. It was like when I was like 17, 18 years old, the last couple of years of high school, right? Um, uh, so in that moment, I started to to read more and play soccer less. That was very interesting. It was like a transition, right? <laughs> and later, later, when I went to the university, it totally changed my life, you know? So I would say that intellectually, the university totally changed my, my not my personality, but definitely my lifestyle, actually, right? Your trajectory. Uh, yes, exactly. Because high school was more about music and soccer, you know, and playing football, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it was more about that, I guess. 
So yeah. where did you go to university and uh, how did you um, navigate that once you ended up there? How did you figure out what your interests were? So it was a, a small university in Chile. It's a public university. It's actually one of the universities where more, you know, a humble background of their student, you know, in Chile. It's even now in the statistic, you know. It's a one it's one of the few universities in Chile, it's called Universidad del Bio Bio, that is 100% public, you know, because most of universities are privatized, you know. Right. So it wasn't like a fancy university at all, but it was a really amazing environment, you know. For me, it was like, after I went to the, uh, the university, after a couple of months, I was like, this is my... My, this my is place. my game. This is my bag. <laughs> this is my game. Exactly, you know, <laughs> because because uh, before that, you know that in my high school you have to uh, choose a career. So in in high school, actually, I was studying to be an accountant. Okay. You know, I I forget to tell you that. It was oh man, kind of Juan Carlos, this... <laughs> don't you know what accountancy does to people? <laughs> exactly. I know, right? So it, it was a technical, you know, school, right? So I got uh, an accountant title, you know. Actually, you had to study six years, not four years. So I in was six years in high school, yes. Okay. Uh, and you have to work like six months in a company. And I worked six months in a company. And those six months in the company convinced me that I have to go to the university. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> exactly. It was so horrible for me. It, like, it was like a Monday morning and I was in, in hell. You know, like, <laughs> this week is going to be so long. And I didn't work too much, you know. It was more about being bored. Right. So, so boring environment, right? So in that moment, I actually thought, I decided, okay, I need to go to the university. And after that, I have to choose what I'm going to study in the university. And it right. wasn't easy because the, the logical thing was to be, you know, to, to get a our uh, contador auditor to be a, like a more specific accountant, right? That okay. is a good job in Chile. They make good money, I guess. So the logical step would be going for that career. Because in Chile, when you go to the university, you have to choose a career before. You don't okay. go for a major or a minor. It's not like college, you know? Right, you so you don't, your you're not there to explore and figure it out no. as you go along. You're, no, you need no. to have a path before you. Okay, cool. Exactly. We don't have that privilege, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have to yeah. pick your career before, right? So it would hard for me to understand, to, to, to decide what I'm going to study in the university. So it was like one year of reflection, rethinking, and I just realized, or I started to think, you know, what I like more and what I like more was history. Uh -huh. You know, I was fascinated with history, right? So for me, okay, I'm going to study to to be a historian, not a historian, you know, to be a high school teacher. Uh -huh. And that was good enough for me, uh -huh. you know. So I just want to be a high school, you know, history teacher. And in that way, I'm going to read a lot of books about history, you know. Right. So that, that was, and I decided to go to the university, this small university, where most of the students were actually from a similar background, right? Right. And um, you mentioned that it's one of the few public universities. Uh, does that yeah. also make it affordable for most yeah. people? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to... That's what, it, Chile, that's it, what it should, right? That's what public should mean. Yeah. It only doesn't mean exactly. that anymore in places like yeah. the United States, yeah, yeah. where you're paying thousands of... Anyways, yes. Go on. Yeah. So, no, no, it's a, it's a very important point, you know, because actually in that moment, it wasn't affordable for everybody. Because in Chile, you have to get, give, you know, you have to take a test, 
right, to go to the university. Okay. And, he, and your access to a scholarship depends on how good you do in that test, right? So I studied as much as I could, and I did a really good job. So I get a scholarship that covered like 60% of my, my you know, uh, tuition. And the other 40%, I'm still paying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it was affordable in that moment because uh, actually I was lucky too that I had the university in my town, right? Because if I have to go to other town, it would, it would be impossible. Right. I wouldn't be able to, to afford it, you know? Right. Um, and 10 years before that, for my older brother, I think about my, my older brother who is, you know, six years older, he never had that chance. So basically, at the end of the 80s, you couldn't go to university. You were not rich in Chile, right? right? Or high middle class. And at the end of the 90s, when I went to the university, actually it was in the early 2000s, I entered there in, in 2002. It was possible already for people from my background, because Chile changed pretty fast, you know, so they were opening you know, spaces to go to university because they thought that the university would, was the only way to to create some kind of social mobility. And actually it was true, you know, Yeah. Uh, that, in that context. You know? So I, I was lucky because I always think that if I were my older brother, right, or if I were born 10 years earlier, I wouldn't be able to go to the university. Right. It would be, it would have been impossible for me, right. you know. So basically I was taking advantage of the changes in Chile after, you know, 10 years, 15 years, well, 10 years after the, the dictatorship. Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So you, you find yourself in university and you know you want to study history. So you mentioned yeah. that it totally, yeah, totally reoriented your trajectory. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and the, the, major, yeah. the major things you were exposed to that made the, the biggest difference? <laughs> I, I guess it was the environment, right? Because the university... It wasn't a beautiful place, you know, it's not actually, but it was a campus. It was yeah. a campus at least, right? With a lot of uh, green, you know, areas, right? So you could spend there the whole day, you know, basically. Um, and there was cheap places to eat, you mm -hmm. know, that you could eat for really, uh, you know, little money. So I used to spend the whole day there. Um, yeah, and it not? wasn't just about, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And it wasn't just about studying, you know, it was about um, the people and the, and the uh, you know, environment inside there because I started to see that there was music every weekend, right? Like people playing, you know, music and, and movies for free, you know, and that, all that kind of thing that for me were so hard to get before that, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I started to listen, you know, the Chilean leftist music that was forbidden at the dictatorship, you know. I'm talking about Victor Jara, Violeta Parra, Quilapayun, very famous bands in Latin America that were really political. You know, that, I mean, Victor Jara was killed by the dictatorship, right? Uh, uh, Violeta Parra, she's like the grandmother of any kind of leftist rebel musician in Latin America, you know? She was a person, actually from my city, right? That she was like being political, really political in the 50s, before before Bob Dylan, before I guess like many, actually I'm, John I'm, Bass I'm, I'm really sure influenced. that she like, wrote much better music too. I'm over, so over Bob Dylan, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Juan Carlos. <laughs> I know, we'll I know. We'll talk about it another I time. <laughs> I know, but actually many musicians from from, you know, the U.S. or from Europe, 
got a lot of influence from people like Violeta Parra. Uh, she's very, she's, I think that she's very, you know, uh, unknown mm -hmm. in the English speaking world, right? But she's probably the most important artist, female artist from Latin America with Frida Kahlo, right? Frida Kahlo is much more famous, yeah. right? Um, but Violeta Parra actually was much more radical, you know, so she was an amazing woman. She's an amazing person that at the end uh, uh, was, you know, so smart that she ended, you know, uh, singing in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, you know. And actually, she was an artist that she introduced her work in the in the Louvre in Paris, too, you know, at that level. So she was, at the end, you know, very successful but that kind of music in, in coming back to the university mm -hmm. that kind of music you know was like the next step in terms of music right from punk rock to to latin american leftist or chilean leftist you know uh, uh, musicians like silvio rodriguez from from cuba so all that people uh, is it starts to feed your political views too you know it's not that you you just you know memorize what they say, you start to think about the life, right? Like like Violeta Parra being so poor, you know, and becoming such a important woman, like Victor Jara uh, being killed by the dictatorship, right? So it, it wasn't just about the lyrics, it was about the, the, the link between being a musician, you know, and the political commitment mm -hmm. that, that they have, right. you know? Uh, so, and, so... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah. go ahead, yeah. No, and just, um, that makes a lot of sense and I mean I think it's it's something you'll find over and over again is that like very very rarely does intellectual development or radicalization happen out just out of books right like books are important exactly. but it's oh, the yeah. environment is so critical and if you don't have the space where these ideas are circulating and you're encountering them through people like flesh and blood people right and and other forms of communication it's just very um I think it's hard for 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 it to be fertilized but you are at yeah. university and i'm wondering what uh, you're studying history what was um what was the sort of program that you had there at the university you were at like were you required to take you know a certain amount of history courses on this part of the world that part of the world yeah. or um you know and what how did they present to you the history of you know central and south america what was the focus there um yeah. how how was that laid out for you at that moment and i think it's still very similar in chile you don't have too many options it's, it's mm -hmm. uh uh, a bunch of classes that you have to take per year. Yeah. And if you don't pass them, and usually, and these universities were pretty tough, like 40% of the students, they didn't wow, pass. Yeah. And they were public universities, so you could complain about the teacher, the professor, right? But nobody cared because if you are a public uh, academic in Chile, in, in a public university, they basically cannot hire, uh, fire mm -hmm. you, you know? So that people were like, all powerful, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, <laughs> you were in their hands, yeah. right? So At their mercy. If you don't pass a, exactly, yes. And if you don't pass a class, you have to take it the next year. So basically, most of people take like seven years to finish a career of history, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Because you have to take the class again. And if, if you have mandatory classes, like you start with ancient history, uh, and after that, uh, Middle Ages, right? History. Okay, so you go, after that, you go chronologically in order. Exactly. A, yeah. It's kind of refreshing. There's a certain of like really good logic in that because oh, yeah. you know, I mean, 
obviously, it, you know, in, in the American education system, I think at some point, or, you know, like you are supposed to start in middle school as you start with, you know, but, but it's just a mess and it's different in every district and it's different in every state and blah, blah, blah. And then when you go to, by the time you go to university, it, you're, you get to pick and choose. There's no requirement at all. So you end up with this really lopsided situation where like I, for example, could know, you know, once I graduated from college, could know like in great detail about like early American history, but I'm like not entirely clear on like when the fuck, you know, like England be- was became a state <laughs> or whatever, because like, I don't have this, yeah. this clear chronological background in my head. Right. So actually yeah. that gives you this more, um, global perspective. I think if you do fucking start from the beginning, quote unquote, right. And then move exactly. forward in yeah. an orderly fashion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, was, uh, it wasn't that hard to, 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 to grasp, you know, history in that way. Right. Because you have three lines actually too. Right, you have the universal history that was basically, you know, European history, right? right? Universal. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, the the other one was Latin American history, mm-hmm. where you also start from the beginning, so before, you know, the the colonization, and you have Chilean history. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, you go in those three, in those, those three, three you know, okay. uh, exactly, exactly, you know, and you take, you know, several classes uh, per year, right? Okay. So basically, you have four years to pass all those classes. Okay. So when you're taking those classes, what did you enjoy the most? And what made you think, um, I could keep doing this, right? Yeah. I think that for me was really important uh, theory. You know, I always like the the theoretical, you know, um, uh, dimension of history, right? right? So in Chile, even now, you know, uh, at I think it's a different with the U.S., at least in my experience, right? Uh, most of historians or professors are open to theory. So it was very theoretical, you know. It was it was okay, you know. Actually, we have philosophy classes. Too. You have to take mandatory classes about philosophy or uh, sociology, anthropology. Uh-huh. Those are mandatory. They're very, very basic, you know, but they open the, the door for you to read, you know, uh, in my case, it was Marx, it was Nietzsche, it was, you know, the Frankfurt School, right? right. Uh, it was some Latin American, you know, theory, it was Gramsci, it was Foucault. So all those classes that m- many of my friends actually used to hate, right? Uh, I enjoyed them so much, right? And to be honest, sometimes I didn't understand too much what I was reading, but it was so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Really. You know, seriously. No, absolutely. You know? So, seriously, for me. 100, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I relate to that on both levels. I mean, I remember senior bookshelves, right, uh, in Davis. Yeah, they were yeah. so amazing. Like, these beautiful, pristine, like, shelves full of theory. <laughs> yeah. And... This yeah. is something that you and I have in common. I, I think you know also, Iran, that it's a major complaint we have with with the historical profession in America is it's so bereft of theory. Not only is it bereft of theory, but it's actively anti-theory in many occasions, which exactly. is so yeah. not good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like thinking what words I could use. We'll just sit with not good and so narrow and parochial and boring. And so anyways, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I I ended up doing um history and political theory double major in my undergrad. And I think that that political theory was the theory, right, that that I was um, craving that you you 
in America you don't you don't get if you just you mm. know stay on a history course. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, I was going to ask you a question about your experience in more detail, but it flew out of my brain. Um, continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that you know space to read theory, you know, was really important because, as I said, you know, I knew that I wasn't understanding uh, everything, or basically probably I wasn't understanding the, the, the most important things, you know, but it still was interesting. I remember reading, for example, I, I actually read the, the, the Capital, you know, Das Capital by, by Karl Marx, right? And it was like a nightmare yes, because man. I couldn't. I can't. I couldn't get through it. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I couldn't. Tried. You know, so later, later I come back to many chapters, yeah. right? And I have been, you know, uh, getting the point. But that happened, you know, ten right. years later. But the first time when I I started to read that capital, it was like, is this really made to be read? You know, that, <laughs> or to be read? You know, that, that I was asking myself yeah. that. You know, so. But the thing is that. It, I, I don't know. I kept going because yeah, it was I mean, it, it sinks in. You know? It is really interesting, even if you're yeah. not understanding yeah. all of it. Um, yeah. So uh, I had a similar experience, but not not in undergrad because I wasn't that exposed to to hardcore theory in undergrad. Uh, you know, my political theory is much more like 18th yeah. century white assholes explain the state of nature. Uh, I still really enjoyed <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, also, yeah. because I wasn't very critical of 18th century white assholes, I thought they were super awesome, great. I had a picture. I had I had a picture of like Locke and Edmund Burke up on my wall in undergrad. I fuck you not. True story. Um, yeah, you know, I've, uh, I have a lot of skeletons in my closet. But anyways, when I got into to graduate school, I started to be exposed to like Foucault and Ramsey. And what I kind of found is that. You know, especially your first year or two in graduate school, you're very shy and you're you're maybe afraid you're not as uh, well. I was never afraid I was less smart, but I, I I picked up on the fact that I was maybe not as fluent in these these kind of things than some of the other students there, particularly ones who already had master degrees, right? So they'd been exposed to some graduate level history education. But I just started listening to what people were saying about Foucault or what they were saying about Gramsci, mm. and then I kind of started to put together a kind of montage in my mind of what these people are about and then I would double check it I'd be like okay is this what Foucault's mean is this what Gramsci means and um, I would be oh okay okay so yeah actually I might have been off on this little detail here or there but you absorb it even if you don't completely understand it you start to absorb a perspective a way of thinking um and yeah. I did a lot of reading that I didn't understand completely but you just just like you said you just keep yeah. going Right, because yeah. uh, you have to trust that uh, eventually you're going to kind of get get the gist, and and usually you do, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Because if you, I mean, if you expect to understand everything from such a you know complex thinkers, yeah. right? It's not going right. to happen. I mean, maybe it happened for some people who are really smart, right? But it wasn't my my case. I was always aware, you know, that I wasn't that smart, but I always thought that I was smart enough, you know, <laughs> yeah, to, to to understand these things, you know, <laughs> exactly, yeah. you know, so I, I was kind of, that gave me a lot of confidence, yeah. you know, I was like, hey, I know that I'm going to get there, you know, I'm going to understand this, you know, eventually, I know that if I don't understand it because it's really complex, it's not me the problem, 
are these people idea the problem, right? So that was my, my, uh, I, you know, uh, perspective yeah, at that moment. Absolutely. Right? One, so 100. I, yeah. I, I've always been very frustrated with the, with the, the claim, the idea that an, uh, an idea is so complex and sophisticated that you can't explain it to somebody in a way that most, you know, standardly educated people can understand i've always been like no that's bullshit like that's indulgence you, yeah. you can explain this you know who who wrote a whole introduction to like the second edition of the machiavellian moment what is his name he wrote a whole inter like introduction to like people have criticized that it's hard to understand but that's just because the ideas are complex i'm like oh fuck off uh, <laughs> no um <laughs> So uh, when you're in uh, university, at what point do you think I'm going to go to grad school? And what did that journey look like? That started, you know, in the university, in my career, was five years, right? So you had to study five years, yeah. uh, minimum. Yeah, I finished in five years, but many of my friends finished in seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Right. Seriously. You know, it takes really long yeah. for some people, right? Uh, and not because they are not as smart, actually, because I get that they don't have the discipline mm -hmm. sometimes because, as I told you, you know, you have to read a lot and, and go to the classes, even if you don't like the, the, right. the professor, right? And so many people, basically, I, I met so many people who were really smart, but they basically didn't go to class because they hate the professor and they mm -hmm. didn't pass the class. So you, they went again and again and again. So basically, I would say that in my second year already, Little by little, I started to think, I really mm -hmm. like this. I really like history. And you know what was my goal very early? Probably in the second year already. Maybe even the, the first year, little by little, I started to think, I want to teach in nice. the universities. Yeah. You know? So for me, well, like, it wasn't, I never thought of my, uh, uh, about myself like I want to be a historian, to be honest. It never crossed but my mind. But you want to teach. My, my, yeah. I want to teach in the university because I want to go deeper you know, in the in the explanations, you know, in the in the understanding of history, right? So basically, it was always for me like I want to read more books and I want to go deeper, you know, and that's not gonna happen right. in high school. So mm -hmm. I wanna I, I wanna you know to teach in 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 the universities and I wanna go to high uh, to graduate school, you know, I'm gonna do a master. You know, that was my plan. I started little by little. I'm going to go for a master, and after that, I'm going to go for a, a PhD. Never crossed my mind going mm -hmm. to the U.S. at that moment, to be honest. You know, it was everything, always thinking about Chile, right? A master in Chile and a PhD in Chile because, I mean, I, I didn't speak English mm -hmm. at all. In, in We have English classes in elementary school and high school in Chile. I never put attention because I never thought that sure. I would need it. To be honest, you know, now, of course, later I regretted that, right? Yeah. Later I, I thought, like, man, I should have put attention in, in my, you know, English classes, you know. But even in high school, even in the university, uh, I was thinking about uh, studying in Chile. And at the most, like a dream would be, was actually, you huh. know, going to Spain to do a uh -huh. PhD in Spain, you know. But going to the U.S., you know, to, to you know, to get a PhD, it, it never so mind, what happened? Honest. How did you yeah. end up in Little Davis? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, when I was like finishing, I was close to finish my my career. I knew that I would go to another university in Chile, bigger, in a in a city close to my 
Chumay Town, es la Universidad de Concepción, which is, is one of the biggest okay. in Chile, you know, and it's, it's much, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, international too. So in them, uh, to that university, I went to, to do my, my master's degree in history, right? And just in that university, I started to think about the, the PhD in, okay. in, in a foreign, you know, country, uh -huh. abroad, right? And in that moment, I remember that in that moment, they opened uh, uh, a bunch of scholarships to go to the, whatever you want, you know? Uh, the scholarship were like, we're, not, we're gonna give you money, the Chilean state, you know? We're gonna give you money, uh, but you have to, you have to be good. So you have to publish something before, you have to learn English, right? So in that moment, I remember actually that uh, a friend of mine took me to that to a meeting. He basically told me, man, they are coming to explain, you know, this was already in Concepcion, you know, uh, in the master uh, program. And so they came to explain how this scholarship worked. And I went to listen the 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 explanation, the requirements, right? And I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply, I'm gonna go in this one. I knew that would be several years, you know. That was like 2000, uh, 2008. Uh -huh. Yeah, wow. You know? So it's funny. I think uh, so, I, I came to UC Davis in two thousand six. Um, so yeah, um, oh. you arrived several years after me. But um, was uh, was there anything that that motivated your choice where you ended up, or? Is, you know, that's a, it was a good university United States. And so like, I guess I'm going to go bake in oh, no. the central Valley of California now. <laughs> no, 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 no. For me it was, it wasn't the U S right. wasn't an option at all. Actually, when I started to think about going abroad, you know, right. it was Europe, of course, you know, it was Europe. And I thought uh, it was really, as I told you, I, I was thinking about uh -huh. uh, Spain right. because the language, right. Uh, uh, theoretically, you know, or ideologically, you know, I was much closer to France, you know, right. so it was like France, the, all the historians that I was reading were from France, many of the intellectuals were from France, you know, I was reading a lot of Foucault at that moment, you know, uh, so the problem was the language, so I thought, okay, I will have to learn French, but French is not going to give me too much mm. in Chile, you know, I mean, you learn French in Chile, you speak French, you're cool, you're <laughs> interesting, right? But academically, everything right, okay. is about English. So I thought, okay, it has to be English, you know? So if I want a, a, a career, an academic career, I have to learn English. So of course, what I thought was about the UK, right? So I started to research universities in the UK. I thought about applying to Edinburgh, to Manchester University. And to be honest, at that moment, I started to think, okay, if it's going to be English, could be the US too. Right, so I put my attention in some British universities and some universities in California because I thought that the only place that I could go in the U.S. was California. For me, yeah, for, for, for many people in Chile, California was like a really cool place, looked really, you know, awesome place to live and and very fun, you know, and interesting. Um, to be honest, what made me choose uh, California instead of the U.K. to apply eventually, it was the weather. You know, I started to. I started to to think that weather in the U.S. was so bad, and my city in, in Chiang was pretty cold. You know, so I was uh, hating okay. winter there. You know, but okay. when I started okay. to do research about the weather in the in in Edinburgh or the weather in Manchester, I thought, no way, I'm not going there. <laughs> if I get, <laughs> no. if I hate, you know, my my I don't know 
40 degrees in Chillán, I'm not going to go to Manchester or to <laughs> Edinburgh or Glasgow, you know? So basically the weather you is know, a very important thing. It makes so much sense. Weather yeah. is like, we often yeah. underestimate it, but weather is fucking fundamental to human happiness. Exactly. Um, and not and not everybody is the same, you know, like uh, I know people who just want to sit in the rain all day. And uh, But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not one of them and, and I... I relate um so when you do you know make this decision to come to california to study and and you find yourself at uc davis uh what um what direction we'll we'll talk first about like the academic experience and then the social one what uh direction were you thinking to take your studies and your research and did that differ at all from where you ended up or or just kind of tell us about that story of 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 yeah the impact of graduate school on on yeah. on your intellectual development. You know, when, when I was in college, my main area of uh, study or of attention, right, it was uh, European history, uh, modern European yeah. history, because I really, I was fascinated with revolutions, you know, so the French Revolution, yeah. the Russian Revolution, right? Um, yeah, me too. In undergrad, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, all the stuff. That I was, so yeah. the logical step was going to Europe, right? So to study, you know, uh, European history. But at that moment, I was aware already that it didn't make too much sense for me uh, to, to do research about European history, what European already knew much better than me, you know. So when I went to the U.S., I started to think, okay, if I go to the U.S., I'm going to study Latin American history, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to go there, you know, I want to I wanna be good in what is my, my, you know, my region in the world. Right. Sure. You but know? then, in a way, you still combined that, right, with your interest in revolution. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I decided what I'm going to study. So, revolution, right? The Cuban Revolution. And Cuba was always right. really interesting because the music, because the the history of Cuba, right? So, uh, it wasn't hard for me to to decide. Okay, I'm going to study Cuba. You know, if I go to the right. US, you know, I didn't want to study Chile. You know, I really didn't want yeah. to. I thought that if yeah. you go to, if I go to the U.S. or some other country, I'm not going to go to study Chile. To study Chile, I stay in Chile, you know. So I wanted yeah, to go sure. to, I wanted to go to a, um, to a university where I could study a different country, you know. Uh-huh, right, right, of course, totally. Of course, I totally underestimated what that means, you know, because when I started to study, actually, you know, Cuba, and in my first trip to Cuba, you know, research trip, you know, I basically have like a panic attack when I realized how little I knew about Cuba, you know, how uh -huh. ignorant was about Cuban history, you know, because, you know, oh, I know enough to start to study. But when I went there the first time, I realized, dude, I really don't know too much about Cuba. And I was, I, I already read many books about Cuba, but that did, didn't give me too much. So, sure. so it was, it was being on hard. the ground is a totally different ex experience. Ex exactly. You know, so when I went to Cuba, just after a couple of days to talking to people there, I realized I was basically ignorant about Cuban oh. history, you know? Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. But I, but I also think, I mean, it's interesting. It's kind of been a theme in, in this, this like hour that when you realize you don't know, like you might panic for a moment, but you just keep going, right? You yeah. just keep trusting that you're going to, figure it out and put the pieces together yep yep yeah. and you also know, this this sorry go ahead yeah no 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 you, you go ahead yeah 
I was just going to say this myth of like the super smart academic who like somehow absorbs every line of everything they read and they understand it from the beginning. And then they're just like master of, of the, the universe of knowledge. And yeah, it's so, know, it's right? such bullshit, right? It's a fantasy, right? <laughs> it's a fan. Yeah. It's a yeah, fantasy. Exactly. It's a fantasy, yeah. So, you know, that also was important. I think it's important to, to say too that I think that if you're going to study Chile, the best place to study in Chilean history uh, is Chile. The same with mm -hmm. Argentina, the same with Peru, the same with Mexico. If you want to study Mexican mm -hmm. history, the best place probably is going to be Mexico. But if you want to study Latin America as a whole, I think that is the U.S. You know, the U.S. is going to be the best place to study Latin America because it's the place where you're going to find more bibliography, you know. The, the, the amount of books, good books and bad books that they are printing every year in the U.S. is insane you know so wow. so you don't find too many books in even now in chile about other latin american countries in spanish you know mm -hmm. so basically all my books about cuban history are from cuba or from the u.s in english right okay because yeah. it's this the same with other countries right the same with peru the same with mexico the same with brazil right so the best place to study latin american history i think is uh, is the u.s you know, which on a, on a level is also deeply fucked up. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. like yep. Really ironic and fucked up, but yep. um, yeah, we inherit the, uh, we inherit the imperial structures that are given to us, right? Well, the, colonial structures that are given to us. The academic world is a, is a, is a colonial. A replication world, right? of that, yeah. right? It is. Yeah. It has colonial dynamics, right? I mean, you right. see, I mean, I had to learn English to, Right. To, 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 you know, get my PhD, right? I have to publish in English to get my job. Because right. if I didn't publish in English at least a couple of articles, you're not going to get the job, you right. know? And learning English when I was like 27, 28, I started to read in English, you know? It was really hard. I mean, that is why I, my, I have a strong accent, right? Because I didn't learn English when I was like uh, seven years old. Right. It's, I, it's I, really, <laughs> I have to say, though, it's really reassuring to me because, you know, I'm I'm now several years into intermittently trying to learn Hebrew just because I'm married to an Israeli and I just don't want his friends to be able to talk around me and not know what they're saying. <laughs> you know, right. but and like the fact that you also started late, you know, it's like, OK, good. So because not your English is very so, that sounds so racist. Anyways, you know what I mean? I thought I would say that. It's not going to come fucking come out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 but I mean, I, it's I, not I, the I, same because you're actually not American. <laughs> but still, I can't. Okay, you know what I mean. But anyways, no, no, I have said it's comforting. You it can be I, done. You, I mean, and I put, the, I put the topic, I brought the topic of English, right? Because learning English was hard. You know, it was really yeah, hard. Yeah. And coming back to, you know, my experience in the U.S., it was a challenge for me to go to a seminar Right. right. And, and I always felt in the U.S. that I was in disadvantage. Right. Because right. I have something important to say. At least I thought that. Right. I have something good to say in Spanish. But go to say that in English. I right? go to have an argument or just a discussion, a, a conversation with really smart people in a different language. It was really, really hard, really frustrating. Right. Mm -hmm. I couldn't yeah, find I couldn't find the words. I couldn't made sense of myself many times, right? So right. Uh, it was a challenge too, it was hard, but I always enjoyed that that experience too, right? Because mm -hmm. I knew that I was doing something that I never dreamt before, right? Sure, <laughs> sure. And it's going to pay dividends, right, once you end yeah. up on the other side. But I do 
often reflect on this aspect of colonialism that I've never experienced because I imagine, I just, I try to imagine how I would feel if I was, you know, pretty much anywhere else in the world, you know, uh, fucking Korea, you know, Israel and Latin America, right? Where if, yeah, if you want to pursue a certain type of career, you have to learn this completely foreign language. And it's just really fucked. Like, you know, I just imagine I would just be really angry that anyways. Um, <laughs> so you probably had a better attitude about it than I would. have. Uh, so um, you find a, a subject of study that does challenge you and combines um your interest in revolutions and latin american history um and what is the the rest of the grad school experience like like the social experience and the romance it was was much much better than i was expecting you know to Mm. be honest you know because i went to the u.s you know i was thinking that i would meet you know some interesting people Maybe I would make some friends. I knew that, you know, white people is kind of um, uh, awkward to be friends at the beginning, you know. <laughs> they are not like Latin, We're not right? Bunch. <laughs> I know that, that it, they are distant, you know. I mean, that that's the thing, you know. I was aware about that, you know, that it's not that easy to make friends in the U.S. And that is why I, I love my friends, you know. Uh, so much because I, I value that so much, you know, because I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, to be yeah. honest. So the the social environment in the U.S. in California, in Davis specifically, was much better than I was expecting. You know, yeah. In, in even uh, politically and also, you know, in in human, you know, ways, right? Yeah. That I I met so many people that many of them, and most of them, basically, were really patient with me with my English at the beginning. You know, um, um, uh. Um, they, I learned a lot of, from them, you know. Um, so that kind of thing, you know, uh, made me feel really comfortable since the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think also that just the, there was, you know, I don't know what it's like now, but there was just this handful of years in Davis where in the graduate program, there were just so many lovely leftist people. <laughs> it was just insane. It was just like... It was the, yeah, it was the glory days. Um, okay, so last uh, sort of twin set of questions. Um, what do you think is the best thing about being on the left, about having this perspective on the world and politics? And what do you think is the worst? Now, you can answer these in either direction, that whatever you want, you know, it, depending on how yeah. it flows for you. I guess that they are simple questions, right? But... but not that easy to to answer right uh, i guess that for me the best of being on the left first of all it wasn't like a choice right yeah I, like i i was yeah. i was never in the other side i guess right i grew up right. in the left i guess right. on the left right because and i know that that doesn't happen all the time you know i i'm aware of that right and right. I, actually i really appreciate people that grew up in different contexts, you know, politically too, and they change their mind because that speaks a lot of them, you know, because uh, basically if you grew up in a conservative family, you know, what is your choice, right? And if you grew up with people telling you things that are not true, right, Right. it's not your fault, you know? So so in that one, it's a kind of privilege in my my side, right, that I, I didn't have that problem. Because my father, being a conservative, he was never imposing his ideas on us, right. you know. 
Okay. He, so he, he, barely, he wasn't that passionate about his political position. No, I mean, he he was passionate when we had the arguments. Okay, us. okay, yeah. But he wasn't <laughs> so we, like... we have arguments. He wasn't uh, indoctrinating you on a regular no, basis. Not no, not at all, you know. My family was really... They were not conservative. We never went to church. We were not raised, you know, Catholic at all, you know, like many of my friends. Right. Right? So, so for me, being on the left, you know, it has been almost... All my life, I right. guess, right? Um, so it's, it's a different. Thing, I could see how it is a different question then. Absolutely. Except, yeah, yeah, but it, it's really interesting because I think that it made me think that being on the left for me, the best thing is that it's something that you aspire. You know, it, it's like you have there a society that you you know that could be better, right? And you are constantly uh, aspiring. You know, you know what I mean? Right. You, that you think that that there is a, a better world, it sounds cliche, right? A better possible world, right? But you know that there is no another alternative. You know, that is the thing, you know, that right. it's, a, it's a dream, it's, it's a utopia. It's a better but there world is no or bust. <laughs> exactly. Or, or, or the thing is that because I have thought about that many times, right? What would be the option? Just accept that the, the world sucks and just die in bitterness, you know. Right. So it's, that is not an option, right? Right. Uh, I think that I think that that is what the the left being on the left gives you gives you the the utopia to start, right? Yeah. It gives you the the possibility the possibility of of dreaming, right? That to be honest, you know, that was a problem that I have in the U.S. too, you know, in some moment because the U.S. You you know right everybody know that is aware that the U.S. is an empire. Right. So for me going to study to the U.S. was going to study to the empire right inside the empire right right and in some moment I can tell you that in some moment the the environment too apart from your friends because your friends are just a small group of people mm -hmm. but the environment is so toxic right right one hundred so it's so right wing. It's so conservative that you start to doubt about your own dreams. You know, mm -hmm. it happened to me in the U.S. No, what so in some moment you totally. you reach that level, right? It's very difficult uh, in in yeah. It's very difficult in the United States to to have have a have a strong sense of that future, right? Because the United States is basically the leader in destroying the world. Yeah, and also, <laughs> or less, no, right? exactly, no, and also because. Uh, even though I, I met so many wonderful people, I knew that that wonderful people were a really tiny minority yes. in the U.S., you know? Yes. So I, I, if that didn't, you know, block me to see, you know, how much, you know, selfishness, how much lack of solidarity there was in the U.S., you know, right. and how I, powerful is the U.S. too, you know? That, right. No, it makes total sense. It's, I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, the lack of solidarity, the lack of class understanding, and, and um, yeah, uh, just, just basic solidarity among many cleavages, not just class, but particularly class, I think, is so, if you grow up in the United States, you, you, you become... Uh, inured to it, or not inured to it, you become used to it to the point where most people never see it. They never realize how bad it is. And so on, if you grow up in America and you're on the left, there's a particular dynamic of, of realizing how blind everyone else is. And oh my God, I'm such a minority that people think I'm insane. But that experience can also be really depressing if you're coming from outside of the United States and you show up in this, you know, the, the, 
in Rome, basically, right? And you're yeah. like, oh, holy shit, they actually believe all of the bullshit that all the excuses that that they use to do the things that they do. Um, yeah. I could see that being really equally disillusioning. So to kind of maybe um, to sum up what you're talking about here, the good thing about being on the left is you kind of have a have a star in the sky that you can follow, right? A hope. And the yeah. bad thing is yeah. sometimes you're not sure about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the bad thing is related to the good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I, I really think, and now I'm getting older, right, but I actually appreciate more the value of having dreams in life, mm. you know, because without dreams, that that is not worth living, right. you know. You know, absolutely. I totally convinced of that because when I lost my dream for some moment, for some years, I wasn't... Uh, happier necessarily yeah. you know yeah so i really think that you know that is very important but also that is also part of the problem with the left or being on the left right that that it, there is always the risk of you know taking this moral you know superiority right that is not there right because i think that we are when we are leftists you know and it's a really important question so I, 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 it's complicated because for me being on the left means not just being anti-capitalist, right? Mm -hmm. Mean that you believe, really believe that some kind of socialism is possible right. and some kind of socialism uh, is necessary, mm -hmm. right. right? But uh, you also, studying history, are aware of how big failure was socialism in 20th century. Mm -hmm. You know, and you have to, you have a responsibility to award your teaching history. Right, to grapple right? with that. So, yeah, and you have to recognize that it's not that they made mistakes, it's not that they didn't work, it's that basically they destroy in, in many in many ways, they destroy the dream for many people in 20th century, right. Right? right? When you think about not just the Soviet Union, you know, not just about Stalin, you know, when you think about the, the, the whole, you know, leftist uh, experience, right? So I guess it's a kind of responsibility that you have to be aware of the failure of socialism, and the defeat of socialism too, in order to improve it, right. right? In order to think that another socialism is possible, a socialism that respect, you know, uh, uh, basic liberties, right? right? I know that it's gonna sound like kind of liberal, but it's, it's, it's a minimum that we have to get, you know? <laughs> you, know it, you, you have to, I understand. You have to, we have to build a, a, a socialism that is not gonna be based on censorship, you know, on repression, right. you know? Um, and that that is is really important. So I guess that being on the left to the bad side, it made you aware that that um, it's really fucking hard. That socialism, <laughs> no, it, that, it's not that it's hard. That socialism failed in 20th century, uh -huh. uh, not just because there was really powerful you know forces against socialism, which is true, you know, but also because. Uh, the own internal problems yeah. of you know the social the the socialist experience I guess right, right? but that does give yeah. you a place to to move forward right and try to try to do it again um, so before I let you go I just really quickly wanted to get your feeling about the situation in Chile now right so um, what was it two years ago now maybe three right there are these massive protests yeah. and you're now basically in yeah. the process of rewriting a constitution are you hopeful about this exactly. situation um what's your feel yeah. of it well it is um you know 
I'm very optimistic, you know, I'm very optimistic about Chile and the future. I know it's hard. I know I'm not naive either, you know, I know there are really powerful people that is going to do everything to stop what is going on in Chile, you know. Uh, but what, you know, gives me uh, optimism is Chilean people, actually, you know. I mean, Chilean young people, and that is how I feel proud. Mm. You know, about about high school teachers about, mm. in Chile, high school history teachers, you know, because many, many people, young people in Chile, you know, really believe that, you know, that there are basic ideas about human dignity that, that are non-negotiable, right. you know, you know, and that is not just a, a tiny minority how we used to be in my generation, right? And now it's a big majority. In Chile, you know, it's a big majority that really think that nobody should be living on the street, that nobody should be, you know, uh, dying because they cannot afford, you know, healthcare, that nobody should be, you know, uh, surviving with miserable wages when many people are making so much money right. in Chile, you know. So, what is going on in Chile? Um, it's hard to know what is going to happen. It's really unpredictable because uh, there are also very powerful people who who won't give you anything. Yeah. You know, that they are not going to be, you know, willing to negotiate, right? So this could end really bad too. I am aware of that. I am aware of that. You know, when you see Venezuela and what happened in Venezuela with the own mistakes of the Venezuelan state, but also with the economic war, you know, again, Venezuela for many right. years, right? You know, you know that that could happen in Chile. Sure. You know, I don't think we're going in that direction because nobody in Chile wants to be like Venezuela. That is the right wing, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, tail, mm -hmm. right? Like we are going to be like Venezuela. Nobody here wants to be like Venezuela. But we also know that if Chile tries to build some kind of socialism, not just the Chilean elite is going to do everything to stop it that we know that the u.s and other international you know forces are going to do everything to stop it you know? right exactly well thank you so much for um taking the time out of your day and um that was lovely <laughs> go on and have, have a good the rest well, of your day and to all of um sorry what did you, what did you yeah say? well thank you for the invitation actually i really enjoyed talking you know yeah. about this it's, it brings a lot of memory you know and, it, it, and it's yeah so that's what i that's yeah. what i find yeah. yeah people actually are like wow i haven't actually thought about how the hell i ended up here in a while that was fun <laughs> um so to our handful of listeners out there um you're very special uh oh we love you and you're very special. 